Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Are you looking for a partner to help grow your insurance business? Today's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour is sponsored by The Brokerage, Inc., a national marketing organization that helps professionals just like you to sell more, earn more, and stay independent. The Brokerage is committed to staying an independent, family-owned agency, and you are invited to join the family. If you'd like to learn more about what they offer and view testimonials from agents just like you, visit thebrokerageinc.com N-A-H-U. This past Friday, NAHU's Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, Marcy M. Buckner, and I discussed everything you need to know about our 32nd Annual Capital Conference before you go. Today, as promised, we are discussing our tailored legislative talking points, the list of legislative priorities, and why we support or oppose them that you will utilize in meetings with your lawmakers. Returning to discuss these talking points is Marcy Buckner, Joined this time by our Vice President of Congressional Affairs, John Green and Chris Hartman. So thanks for being on the podcast, everyone. For those who have attended Capitol Conference in years past, the talking points may seem a little different this year. Can you explain what is different about how we are doing talking points this year? Yes. So in the past, we've had a one-pager with a lot of different items included that may have seemed a bit overwhelming. We are separating out our talking points this year into two handouts. One is going to go over some of the broad policy aspects that we support and what we are asking Congress to take action on. And then the other is going to be very specific with bill numbers and bills that are very easy for our folks to ask members of Congress to sign on to. So kind of having one document that's very simple and streamlined with bill numbers and easy asks, and another that's a little bit more in-depth and looking at, again, like I said, the broad policy dynamics, which NEHU supports access, choice, and affordability of health insurance coverage. And so you'll see both documents are organized that way to focus on access, choice, and affordability. NHU has many legislative priorities, but only certain ones are included in the talking points every year. So how does NHU decide which priorities are included in our talking points? The priorities are decided after talking with our NHU leadership and, of course, the Legislative Council. So we identify issues that are going on here in D.C., what we know are the hot topics that members of Congress are talking about regardless, of, again, of whether we have a bill number related to it. Some of these are issues that just need to be addressed, and we'll, we'll talk about some of those in a few minutes, where there are broad policy ideas that we need to either make sure everyone knows we support or oppose, even if they haven't been introduced yet. We bring all of this information to our different working groups and legislative council, and that's where we hear back from our membership what is really important to them, and narrow down what to include in our talking points. So let's get into the talking points. 
the first major section is in regards to the employer tax exclusion. We discussed the employer exclusion at length just a couple of weeks ago. So if folks would like an in-depth analysis of that issue, they can go back to the February 11th edition of the Healthcare Happy Hour. But that being said, what are we saying about the employer exclusion in our talking points? This is one item that we are identifying that is being discussed on the Hill, but does not have necessarily a bill number or a package that it is attached to. Just within the past couple of weeks, the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, gave a presentation to a smaller House Republican subcommittee about suggestions they could possibly do to or take into consideration for if the Republicans gain the majority of the House in the midterm elections. So it's important for us right now to lay the groundwork and let them know that as they're looking at different policy perspectives, the one that was brought up in this presentation was to cap or repeal the employer tax exclusion. And so we want to make sure as something that's very important to us is preserving the employer tax exclusion that we're going to the Hill and we're discussing this now so that we can prevent it from ever going into place. So that's why it's here and why we're talking about it. And Chris and John, I know that you guys were on the podcast discussing it just a couple of weeks ago. So I'll let you guys do kind of a short summary of what you talked about. Yeah, I think it's important to discuss what the employer exclusion means because I actually think in some ways it's very poorly titled to explain what it does. Essentially, this means the pre-tax dollars that employers and employees can use to spend on their health insurance. And this started during World War II when there were wage controls and employers were looking for other ways of compensating their employees. But it's really this tax preference that allows employers and employees to afford to purchase health insurance. Yes, there are other reasons that employers obviously want to offer health insurance, including the well-being of their employees, competitiveness with other employers. But it's that financial advantage of the tax system of using the dollars before they go through income taxes that make this system work and that really causes it to be the backbone of the employer-based healthcare system. And remember, the employer-based healthcare system is how most Americans get their health insurance. 40% of all Americans get their health insurance from their employer. That is larger than anybody who's maybe on the VA system, Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, or the individual market. So the employer-based healthcare system really is American healthcare system. And so without this tax preference that people often either are interested in either capping or eliminating because of how much money they could use for other programs, uh, is something we must always defend. Employees count on the ability of it being not taxable. Once it becomes a taxable event, employees will drop out. Once it becomes a taxable event to an employer, they'll stop offering coverage. So the whole system's predicated on that ability to either write it off or not have it as a taxable expense. You may recall that a few years ago, uh, we battled the Cadillac tax that was taxing your benefits. What they're talking about here is, again, taxing your benefits in some way limiting the tax advantage of the code. Once you take the toothpaste out, you can't put it back in. And we're afraid that any discussion of even so-called capping it will exceed and become a taxable event. And that will be the unwinding of the employer-based system. And, and we're talking about this as it impacts access to healthcare, access to health insurance coverage, because as Chris and John are talking about here, the threat of dismantling the employer-sponsored system 
if employers decide not to offer coverage or employees decide not to take it up because it is taxed, they're going to have a loss of access to coverage. The employers are no longer offering it or it's no longer financially feasible for them. Employers, if they're not offering coverage, aren't necessarily going to raise salaries and increase what they're providing to employees in a different way. And many of these employees that are on employer-sponsored coverage aren't necessarily going to qualify for a subsidy in the individual market. So this could be a huge barrier to access of gaining health insurance coverage if we see the tax exclusion repealed or capped and the ability of employers to provide health insurance coverage is put in peril. Another important section is on Medicare for All. Obviously, Medicare for All and similar proposals pose an existential threat to the healthcare system as we currently know it, so it is vital to bring it up in meetings with lawmakers. So what do our talking points say about Medicare for All? I think both of these topics are, as you said, the existential threats to our healthcare system. The employer exclusion is the tax benefit of it, and single payer or Medicare for All is a government-run system also going to be using that tax benefit in order to provide for a completely government-run system that doesn't provide choice and is potentially considerably more expensive than the system that we have today. And I think as Marcy pointed out at the beginning that this issue is not currently on the table, but because it is part of the dogma on Capitol Hill, it's still worth expressing why it's unworkable and undesirable. I agree with John that in the short term, we don't see a Medicare for all or other versions of single payer passing in this Congress. However, it is part of the unending political dialogue when it comes to healthcare policy in this country. And so I think it's important that we continue to discuss it. Also, uh, we've seen many efforts towards single payer or public options within the states going on in the last two years. Actually, uh, probably much more progress being made towards a public option or single payer in any of the states than by the federal government. So it's important to continue that sort of message out there that any attempt to move towards a one-size-fits-all solution to healthcare will be bad for consumers. And you'll notice on the bullet points that we're going to give you, you don't have to speak as long as we have already on some of these topics. They're concise and to the point, but it just sends that message or drives home why we're either for or against a certain policy. Another vital subject to bring up in your meetings is the ACA employer affordability calculation method, a topic that most lawmakers are actually not very educated on. So what do our talking points say here? So the next two items that we're going to talk about are aspects that are currently included in the reconciliation bill, Build Back Better. And You'll notice here, we don't have Build Back Better listed. When you get your talking points, you'll see that we're not going to talk about Build Back Better. We don't have a bill number here. And this is for a lot of different reasons. One is that if you start the conversation in a Republican office and you say that these items are in Build Back Better, they're going to shut down. They're already voting against it. And we need to be able to talk about some of these issues because the likelihood is they're not going to be in Build Back Better when that bill either passes or fails. These are items that are going to remain in the conversation on the Hill and can find them way, their way into other bills. So we want to make sure that we are educating members of Congress on these two issues that we're about to talk about so that if they do become parts of other bills, we have laid the groundwork 
and made sure that they know where NEHU stands on this. And so one of the first issues is changing the affordability calculation for the employer mandate. Currently, it's at about 9.6%. It changes, it hovers around 9.5% for the affordability calculation, and it adjusts for healthcare costs and inflation. The proposal here is to lower the affordability rate to 8.5% to kind of mirror a little bit more the point at which folks are getting subsidies and other things on the individual side. However, what this does on the employer-sponsored side is it increases the amount of funds that employers have to contribute towards health insurance for employees. Right now, as we've talked about earlier, employers are already, many of them stretched very far to try to make sure that they're able to maintain coverage for their employees, especially now during the pandemic. So lowering the affordability calculation, which actually increases how much they will be paying for their employer-sponsored coverage, could be detrimental and could prevent some employers from being able to continue to offer coverage because now changing that affordability rate ends up making it unaffordable. And removing the inflation cap just exacerbates that problem. So we fear what will happen here is employers will simply offer less generous plans to their employees in order to comply with this. And so plans with higher deductibles, higher co-pays, and really less rich plans that, that people end up paying out of pocket in the long run. When looking for a partner to help grow your business, what if you could get all of the technology and resources of a large corporation while also enjoying the personalized service of a small, family-owned agency? Sound too good to be true? See for yourself at thebrokerageinc.com N-A-H-U. The other item under affordability has to do with, again, an aspect that's been discussed in Build Back Better, but could become something that is talked about in other mental health bills. And this is the possibility of putting civil monetary penalties on employers for lack of compliance with network adequacy. And our concern here is one, you're penalizing the employers who through no fault of their own, oftentimes because they don't have control of the networks may find themselves not in compliance. But again, It's something that's out of their control. So you're penalizing someone who has absolutely no control of what's happening of the network that they're contracted with. And when you penalize the employers, when you're increasing any cost to the employers, that is always going to be passed down to the consumer in the form of increased premiums or how much the employer is going to be able to afford in the long run. So we're very concerned that this will raise costs on employers to be able to maintain affordability of their plans, while also just being concerned about the practicality of this, especially in a time where we just had implemented under the CAA new mental health parity rules that went into effect to do your NQTL analysis starting uh, February of 2021. And so We really haven't had enough time to see whether those changes have improved network adequacy and improved access to care. So we really need time to see whether those recent changes have had an impact in the market before adding anything else like these civil monetary penalties for employers. This is a topic that has come up often in Congress, in both the House and the Senate, in both the Democratic and Republican offices. 
because it starts off with the noble idea of we want to make sure everyone has access to mental health professionals. And the belief that, as the term is, parity, that it should be equal with other types of healthcare products that are out there, other healthcare services. And so we're very supportive of the idea of that, yes, it should be on par with your general practitioner, your other specialists, all of the rest of that. The difficulty we have found with the idea of putting penalties on employers for not offering the plan with an adequate network for mental health professionals is it's become close to impossible to actually even try to build that network. We really have to look at this problem comprehensively in this country where we work to increase the amount of mental health providers out there. Many mental health providers have no interest in joining healthcare networks because they have already 40 hours, weeks worth of patients without joining a network at all. But it is important to get these networks up to adequate levels so that you're paying in network rates. Because so often now consumers go to mental health providers outside of network. And yes, they can get reimbursed for it, but not at the types of rates that are available if they were in network. So I think what we really need to do is look at this problem comprehensively and not just try to penalize employers for a market failure that currently is going on. In the meantime, telehealth has been a terrific bridge until we address the workforce issues. And so there are bills which we are supporting that extend that bridge and telehealth and make it easier for folks to get seen by a healthcare provider. So yes, speaking of telehealth, regarding the portion of our talking points advocating for specific legislation, right now there are a couple of great pieces of legislation surrounding telemedicine, as you mentioned, included in our talking points. So what are those? Well, one would allow people who have high deductible health plans with an HSA to pay for those telehealth services without having to reach the deductible. That was a provision that was very popular that uh, was part of an earlier bill that that provision expired at the end of 2021. And there's been a lot of work done to try to see if that could be somehow attached to the upcoming omnibus. And we've been part of those discussions to see about extending that provision going forward. And in fact, uh, we are going to have the bill sponsor, one of them, on stage to talk about that in more detail. Yes, the telehealth provisions that were included in different COVID packages have been one of the silver linings of COVID. The fact that more Americans now have access to telehealth than ever before has been one of the things that I think. It's something that we should keep and actually continue to use even as we eventually move past this period of COVID. I think Americans have grown more comfortable with it. Doesn't mean that we will ever eliminate in-person visits. Obviously, certain things will always need in-person care or to see something directly and not use telehealth benefits. But when you're able to get this done, I think it provides convenience. It provides people adequate health care. It also is particularly useful in areas that there are not many providers, particularly in rural America, in order to get your health insurance. So we're talking about two bills today. One is, as John talked about, allows you to use your upfront benefits for telehealth with a high deductible HSA plan. The other allows Medicare in rural areas to be able to access health insurance. And as we discussed, in rural areas, we're seeing a particular need for telehealth because there are less providers available in those sorts of communities. And in Medicare, 
is particularly one area that we have found quite a few Americans using the telehealth benefits. As we already discussed regarding the employer exclusion and Medicare for all, preserving the employer-sponsored health insurance system is a primary goal for NAHU. So what bills will NAHU members be asking their lawmakers to support in the area of preserving the employer-sponsored system? Well, I think one bill that we've been working on for quite some time is a little bit more regulatory nature, but it's something that employers have complained about consistently, and that has to do with employer reporting. An annual activity that employers have to go through, it is complex, it is expensive, and sometimes the IRS sends these 226J letters for penalties that could be actually literally in the hundreds of thousands or more dollars in fines. And as you can imagine, uh, no CEO or CFO likes to get those kind of letters. And so we've been working on on an alternative that will make it a little bit easier to report. They say that 80% of the claims or these letters are resolved, which is little comfort to the employer. They see it as an 80% error rate. And fortunately, we have a bipartisan, bicameral, meaning Senate and House bills to address this issue. And so we are poised, I think, this year to actually do something about that. Another item is requesting support for an extension of the employer retention tax credit. And I know we're talking about a lot of different types of tax pieces here, but this is the employer retention tax credit that was created under the CARES Act because of COVID. And what it does is it allows for a tax credit against certain employer taxes for eligible employers that have been impacted by COVID, but have retained a certain amount of their employees. And with this tax credit that's provided to the employers, many have been able to, one, maintain employment rates um, and keep people on the payroll, but two, it's been a benefit to them to be able to continue to maintain health insurance coverage for their employees. And as we've talked throughout this podcast about the importance of employer-sponsored coverage, you can see here why it's important to continue to extend this employer retention tax credit for the duration possibly for this year is what is being proposed while employers are still recovering from the pandemic. Finally, we have a section in our talking points highlighting our Medicare and long-term care priorities. So what are we seeking from lawmakers regarding affordability for Medicare plans and Medicare beneficiaries? Well, we actually have a lineup of a couple of potential Medicare issues I don't know if this has anything to do with the fact that seniors vote or we've just been working on some of these issues and they're just sort of accumulating. Observation status, got a bill in the House and the Senate. As you know, beneficiaries need a three-day stay in order to get skilled nursing care and observation status does not count. And so we're trying to correct that. COBRA is credible coverage is a long-standing issue that we've been working on, and we're making progress on that. So we still want you to talk about why that is important. And we are in discussion about having a a Part D OEP. We think that equalizing that consumer protection for people in the Part D plans is, is just as important as what we did 
for those on Medicare Advantage plans. So those are three of the Medicare issues. There is a long-term care bill that we've supported in the past, and it's been reintroduced. It's actually a private sector idea, of which there are very few. Usually when you see long-term care bills come up, uh, they have more to do with uh, social programs and expansion, but this actually has a, a private sector approach and we're going to support that bill. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So what are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting to all of you. We can't wait to see you here in Washington, D.C. for our Capitol Conference and toasting to all of your hard work preparing to come here and making your meetings with members of Congress on the Hill. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org. Today's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour is sponsored by The Brokerage Inc., a national marketing organization that helps professionals just like you to sell more, earn more, and stay independent. The Brokerage is committed to staying an independent, family-owned agency, and you are invited to join the family. If you'd like to learn more about what they offer and view testimonials from agents just like you, visit thebrokerageinc.com slash n-a-h-u.